0: Hi, welcome to another edition of this week's the People Progressing podcast, and I have a former Navy SEAL, Philip Kuntz, on who I've gotten to know. Uh, luckily, I've gotten to know, and he's been a, a mentor of mine in the speaking world and and, and in world in in my life in general. Um, it's just been fun to get to know him and and see how he ticks. It's it's pretty uh, pretty amazing to listen to Philip uh, tell stories and about training and in buds and all that stuff. So Philip, I, I welcome you to be on our podcast today. It's going to help so many people. And I'm just going to start out by saying, Philip, what? where did you grow up and, and what are some of the things that you like to do as a kid growing up and, and so forth?
1: Yeah. Uh, so thanks, Joe, for having me on. And uh, I grew up in, in the Midwest. So I'm a good old Midwest farm boy, corn fed <laughs> farm boy. <laughs> um all my family's pretty much in Ohio. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati uh, for about 18 years, uh, born and raised right there. And man, growing up, I loved, uh, just hearing hear you say that the first thing that came to my mind was I loved building a lot of weapons. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they were like nunchucks or or Chinese stars or bow staffs or knives or whatever it was, I, uh, I, I built uh, lots of weapons. And I was the, I was the weird kid in school that would like show up in, in my camouflage uniform, you know, and dress. <laughs> they, they called me GI Joe. <laughs> and You know, at the time I'm like, wait, is that an insult? But now I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, 40, uh, like what, what, 35 years later. So, uh, so yeah, I was, I was definitely on the go, ex- explored a lot, made lots of forts and, uh, you know, we were around some woods. And so I, tramps around with uh with my buddies and and uh it was it was a good time but i was it was never a dull moment for me
0: and then uh, as you went into high school you played some sports in high school is that true that if i remember right you telling me
1: yeah growing up i did uh baseball and soccer and and some taekwondo but uh, at the age of 12 i i started to swim and and for whatever reason uh it stuck with me. So it's, it's funny too, cause I'm like the world's most extroverted person. And, uh, and I, I picked swimming, which is like the most introverted sport that there is, you know? So, yeah. So I started swimming at the age of 12, uh, all the way through college. So and then- it was, yeah. So that water, that comfortability in the water and that, you know, really what it, it taught me that hard work ethic and determination and perseverance was, was huge.
0: And I remember you tell me one time that, the, the the two sports that most SEALs participated in was wrestling and swimming. Is that, do I got that right?
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, ever since the, the, I, I talk about this in my book, uh, but ever since the Bush senior administration, from the top down, from the president down, they're like, Hey, we got to get more guys through SF. So they poured millions of dollars into this sociological study. And, it was based just to see, you know, like what it took, you know, to become a, a seal, and where do we get these guys, and how do we recruit them, and uh, so basically, they found out the general area of the country that a lot of seals come from, and then, and then, yeah, those two sports, which were swimming and wrestling, which are what uh, the you know the majority of guys who make it through they had some sort of like a, a swimming or wrestling kind of background.
0: And then you went to college before you went into the navy. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yep, I swam for University of Toledo. Uh, I, I transferred then to Miami of Ohio. And, and that's where I got my my marketing degree. I was in corporate America for a little while, uh, and then just f- figured out that corporate America was not for me. <laughs> so I was like, one of the few things I've ever quit in my life was corporate America. So yeah, uh, it got the best of me. and I, I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm too high strong. I'm just, I'm not wired right now. I was 23 years old at the time. I just it wasn't a good fit for me at the time. So I decided to, uh, to punch out and and join the Navy.
0: Wow. So had you thought about that before you got into the corporate world, or is that just something that kind of came to you as you were on the job site working in the corporate world? And all of a sudden it's just like, this just, I'm not, this isn't for me. I got to go do something greater. Or was that something that was in the back of your mind before that happened?
1: Yeah, kind of both. Um, I, was influenced, you know, by my parents to to you know get a, a marketing degree and, and wanted to eventually kind of get into sales. I knew I was you know fairly good at that, but once I was in that environment, though, I I, I figured out very quickly that it just wasn't for me. And, and you know, like I said, growing up, I was always enamored with like weapons and and special forces, you know, and would like watch the movies and stuff and read the books, and so um, you know that was always kind of in the back of my mind. And I think it just everything came to a head once I figured out, okay, corporate America isn't for me, I can check that off the list, and uh, what's next, and I thought, you know, let me, let me go SF, let me see if I can go uh, and become the, uh, um, yeah, an SF, so I actually went over to the Army side first, and they said, yeah, you need to do two years in the infantry before you can even qualify to go through the the Q course, and uh, and being a a cocky college grad, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that, I want to I want to go right in. And so I went over across the hall to the Navy side and uh, and they waved eight thousand dollars in front of my face and said, hey, you know, if you join up, we'll give you uh, eight grand for already having a degree and and you can go right into Bud's and and uh, you don't have to wait at all. So I thought, yeah, that's and, and the whole swimming thing and the water, you know, background and the comfortability I thought was was a good fit.
0: So you went right right from the corporate world, really right into Bud's training.
1: Yep, yeah, there's a there's wow. a period of time there where I was training some and I was a, a ship supervisor at Starbucks, you know, I just got a, I got a job just to pay the bills and uh, was training and, and uh, yeah, pretty much I shipped out uh, March 24th of 2004. And, and uh, yeah, so I trained for for a few months in between there, but pretty much went from corporate world right into the, to the military.
0: So you didn't even do like a boot camp, like a normal boot camp going into the Navy, you went right into BUDS.
1: Uh, no, I did. I, I went to boot camp. Yeah, everybody okay. who, who wants to be a SEAL, they all have to go through Great Lakes uh, and, and go through the, uh, the Navy's boot camp there for about seven months. And then when I went in, it's different now, but when I went in, you actually had to pick a rate in the Navy. So I picked a rate as a PR, a parachute rigger. Uh, because for two reasons. One is it had a, a $3,000 sign on bonus, which was great. <laughs> uh, and the reason why it had a, a sign on bonus is because nobody wanted that rate. So it was, I was basically stuck behind a sewing machine repairing parachutes uh, for my <laughs> in, entire time there. It, uh, the, one, the one good thing though, is that it was in Pensacola, Florida. So I got to hang out there in Florida for about eight weeks doing my A school. And then I went to Buds. So now you don't pick a rate. You just go from boot camp and then right into Buds.
0: Okay. So now let's dive into mindset here because this is, again, this is a people progressing podcast and I want people to get the kind of mindset you have to have to overcome. And you get into Buds. What was it like when you first showed up at Buds? What was your mindset?
1: Yeah, so when I showed up, uh, I was married, and um, and I had told my wife, I said, you know, uh, I would rather I'd rather die than than quit. That's that's uh, pretty much my my mo at the time. And uh, little did I know at that time that she would be diagnosed with stage four breast cancer six months later, while I was actually going through the training. Wow. Uh, but we didn't have kids, we didn't have kids together, and so so for me i didn't want you know not to sound cliche but uh but i didn't even want to give myself the option to quit you know and so i said you know and and i'm a man of faith anyways and so i so i thought well you know that's probably a pretty good deal you know rather die than quit kind of mentality because if i did die then i meet jesus right and if i don't die i become a navy seal right so so it's kind of a win-win for me um but yeah i mean i think in life if and this, you know, applies to, to me and you and everyone listening to this podcast right now that in life, if we give ourselves an out, if we give ourselves the option to quit and just crack that door just a little bit, uh, 99% of the time, we're going to walk through it, you know, we're going to walk through that door and uh, find ourselves making decisions that we regret later on. So uh, I just I, I just wanted to to not even open that door. I didn't you wanna give myself the option to quit even when things got, got really hard, which they definitely did.
0: So take, it, take us through a, a typical day at BUDS. Um, your first part of BUDS is a certain thing, and then you go into other different types of training and so forth. Give us a typical day of, of BUDS.
1: Yeah, so uh, on average, so just backing up a little bit, BUDS is six months long and it's divided into three phases. So each phase is two months and, and uh, the first phase is where the majority of the attrition rate happens. So the first two months it's, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, buds is like a, a kick in the nuts every day. right? So I don't know how PC I need to be. No, you're podcast, good. You're good. You're good. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a punch in the stomach every day, figuratively. Uh, so my buds class two, five, four, we started with 223 guys and finished with 21. Wow. And so uh yeah, and the attrition rate really, it's about 80 to 90%, depending on what time of the year you go through and, and how cold the Pacific is. That cold water is usually uh, what, what gets guys the, the most. Um, but typical day, you know, we wake up around four o'clock, 0, 400 in the morning, and then uh, we're just going all throughout the day. And usually the day secured around uh, I'd say like seven o'clock at night and, and I was married at the time. So and this is different now too, but uh, officers and married guys actually could live off base. So I would drive back home and, and uh, my wife, bless her heart. She'd like rub my feet uh, for about an hour. And I was, I was out within five minutes. I mean, I was done. I was uh, sleeping. And um, it was definitely because of her. I'm convinced that, that, uh, that I made it through. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's nothing but just running and gunning all day long. Physical evolutions, log PT, uh, surf torture, getting wet and sandy, rope climbs, a lot of calisthenics, push up, hundreds, thousands of push ups, pull ups, uh, sit ups, races, you know, whatever whatever they can can concoct is, is what we uh, is what we have to do. And we're constantly wet, constantly sandy. So they call us sugar cookies. And in, uh, in buds. So, you know, they tell us to go get wet and sandy. So we go and jump in the ocean, get completely wet and then get out and roll around in the sand. So we've got sand covered from from head to toe. And uh, so, yeah, they, they call us sugar cookies.
0: <laughs> so, again, the, the mental aspect of that, I, I, the physical has got to be just unbelievable. But what gets guys what separates a guy who makes it and doesn't make it? Does that, does that, is that a fair question to ask you?
1: Yeah, it's a question that I get asked a lot, you know, is Bud's more mental? Is it more physical? And, um, I'd say Bud's is, is, is 80% mental and, and 20% physical. And I, and I use, I use those percentages because Bud's is designed to break you down. It, it will break any human being down. I, I don't care how good of, of condition that you're in when you first get in, um, your, your body will break down. And, uh, and that's when the instructors want to see that you've got what it takes between your two ears to, to keep going. So um, I mean, just a lot of grit, uh, a lot of, of competition. I mean, every time I heard that bell ring, people would DOR drop on request, they'd ring the bell three times. And I heard that bell ringing a lot. And, uh, and I just remember saying to myself, well, I made it, I made it past one other guy, you know, just one more guy. Um, but, you know, I, I think it really, it, it, it boils down to determination, to grit, and, and the ability to compartmentalize, you know, uh, there's times in my training where I just really had to turn my, my mind off, because oftentimes our mind is our worst enemy, mm-hmm. our thoughts, you know, our thought life can be, can be pretty devastating at times. And so for me, I just turned my mind off. And I was basically just like a dog. I mean, I sat when I was told to sit. Um, you know, fetch and all that. I mean, I was just, I did what I was told to do. And, uh, and you have to compartmentalize the pain, you know, and know that uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel, you know, it's not going to last forever. And, and, uh, and I found myself breaking my day into into smaller goals for me to be able to just handle it, you know, mentally. So I just, you know, certain days when I woke up, looking at the whole day in its entirety was too much for me. So I, I, I'd break down my day and, and I would just make it to breakfast. That was my first goal, just make it to breakfast and then just make it to lunch. And then once I made it to lunch, just make it to dinner, yeah. right? And then just make it to mid-rats, which uh, mid-rations around three o'clock in the morning. Uh, so, you know, it's just that mentality of, of go, 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 don't quit, grit, stick it through. And, and of course, my faith played a big role in that as well too. And, and I, I told myself, you know, the Lord uh, suffered far more than, than I am right now. And, and I just knew that, that, uh, that whatever they threw at me, that I'd be able to, to take it. And and like I said, you know, like I wasn't dead, you know, my heart was still beating, So I was still going. That's,
0: that's, that's an amazing. And, and to use, um, use the Lord as, as your guidance there, really. Uh, I think a lot of people miss out on that. I think they, yeah. they forget what he went through for us. Yep. And uh, that really helped you get through buds. It helped you get through this training. And yep. Yep. so, the second phase of buds is what is that? Is that more yeah, as so sec- team teamwork type stuff?
1: Yeah, it's it's all teamwork. Um, ever uh, from from day one, you know, day one, week one, they instill teamwork in us. Uh, second phase is more about diving, though. So they teach us uh, two breathing apparatuses. Uh, one is scuba, which most people are familiar with. And, and then the other one is the dragger system. So uh, scuba is great and everything. And that's, that's where we first get our feet wet, pun intended, is, uh, is with the scuba gear. Uh, but then in the teams, we use something called a, a dragger system, which is a rebreather that doesn't emit any bubbles. So it's a lot more clandestine under the water. So second phase is all about diving. Still equally as grueling physically, though, as, as first phase, and sometimes even more so. Uh, I remember the worst beating that we got was actually in second phase. We had to do 500 eight count bodybuilders uh, in in a, a pretty small room. And at that time, our, our class size was about 40 guys. And uh, I mean, there was like condensation just pouring off the walls, you know, from, from us. And it took us about four hours to do, but it was uh, it was it was rough. And then third phase, the last two months of training is, is about land warfare. So we get to you know shoot some pistols. Pick up some rifles for the first time. Uh, We get to uh, we become familiar with with uh, with uh, explosives and doing some land navigation and field training exercises and things like that. But uh, and then half the time on third phase, half the time is spent right there on San Clemente Island, uh, where where you know we we really put in a lot of those uh, those skills into practice. So. Uh, so, yeah, six months, BUDS is six months, and it's, uh, it's, it's challenging. It tests you in, in every single phase.
0: How, how important is your boat crew? Tell us a little bit about your boat crew.
1: Yeah, uh, boat crew is extremely important. So they, a boat crew is, uh, they, they line all of us guys up, and depending on your height, uh, each, each uh, boat crew will have about six guys uh, per boat crew. And uh, those are the guys that, that, uh, you know, are cheering you on, you're cheering them on. Uh, In Hell Week, I remember uh, we were going through the, the, the longest evolution in buds is called the Around the World Tour, where we uh, paddle and run for about 81 miles around the San Diego Bay area uh, with the boats on our head and we're paddling. It's in Hell Week. And so we, Hell Week is where we go five and a half days without any sleep at all. So we're sleep deprived and hallucinating and um, at the very beginning of this, uh, of the around the world tour, it was in the middle of the night and we started. And I remember about 200 yards uh, down the beach as we were running, uh, I heard a, a and felt a, like a, a snap uh, in my leg. And it was my IT band. I had ripped my, my IT band on my right leg and I immediately went down and it's like one of those moments where everything like slows down, you know, in a slow motion yeah. and you see kind of like your career flash before your eyes. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this can't be the end. Um, and luckily it wasn't uh, my boat crew. Uh, they they helped me. Uh, they came and, and, and picked me up, you know, and uh, I, was, I was nursing it for a little bit. And I mean, it's, it was nothing short of a miracle in my mind um, because I was able to make it through. I think the cold water definitely helped kind of keep it keep it numb and, and, uh, the inflammation down, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've relied on my boat crew, uh, tremendously throughout buds to, to be able to help, to be able to help me and, and me help them as well, too.
0: It's so cool. And then once you're done with buds, get, go through a little bit. Um, what happened after that? I know you had some deployments and so forth, and I know you can't talk about the missions and so forth, but when you went into, after Buds, what, what was, first of all, what was the feeling after you made it through Buds personally? What was your feeling?
1: Yeah. Hey, real quick, uh, before I, I do that, I was thinking too, it's really interesting. So the attrition rate that I said about 80 to yeah. 90% is for the enlisted guys. Wow. So in your, boat, in your boat crew, you'll have about five guys that are enlisted, and then you'll have an officer that's in charge of that boat crew. Okay. Uh, but the interesting thing, though, is, is that the attrition rate among officers is around 50 to 60%. And uh, this is for a couple of reasons. One is that they're older. You know, they, they have a little bit more life experience. But the biggest thing, the biggest uh, contributing factor to that lower attrition rate is the fact that, that they are not uh, so self-centered and so self-focused that they are in charge of the other guys that are in their boat crew. And I think this is a wonderful leadership perspective and lesson yeah. as well, too, because, because when we are going through times of adversity, when we're going through the hardships of our life. And, and the only thing that we can see is our problems. You know, it's like if you hold up a penny, you know, and you hold it at arm's length, it doesn't look so bad. But, but as that penny gets closer and closer to your face, that's all you can see is this penny. And when all you can see are your problems and everything that's going wrong, it, it has a tendency to, to amplify that mm-hmm. problem and yeah. sometimes consume us, right? And so right. that's why the attrition rate is, is higher for the enlisted because as the enlisted guy, you're really only in charge of yourself and that's it. Uh, but for those boat crew leaders, the, the, uh, the officers, they're in charge of all of us, right? right? And so their eyes aren't as focused inwardly on themselves, but they're more concerned with how the guys are doing and their state of mind and their physical condition. So that's a, that's a really powerful lesson, I think, too, that's worth noting.
0: Oh, it's huge. Because um, I always say that you can find your purpose when when your purpose is greater than yourself. Yep. And, and- that's what exactly what you're saying there is those guys are trying to serve others in that situation. When they serve others, they're not really focused on themselves. They're serving helping others get through it is yeah. what's getting them through it. And it gives right. them a greater satisfaction as well as they're going through. Wow, that is powerful. That yeah, is really love, powerful.
1: Yeah, I love servant leadership. That's probably oh, I've that's got awesome. my master I've got my masters in leadership. Uh and and that's that's the one leadership. Method uh, that I like the most is that servant leadership kind wow. of mentality in that in that leadership method. So
0: powerful, yeah. powerful. Yeah. I told you guys if you listen to this, it's going to change your life. This is awesome. <laughs> so when you made it through, yeah. Philip, when you made it through, what was the feeling inside of you? So Self- yeah, confidence, accomplishment. What was it?
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, so right after buds is
0: something called SQT, which stands for Seal
1: Qualification Training, and that's an additional six months held right there in Coronado, California, really to take the skills that we learned from BUDS and to fine-tune those skills to really prepare us then to get to a team. So right after SQT is is when we're uh, pinned our Trident, and uh, our Trident is our our military insignia uh, that distinguishes us from different branches of the military and so once you're pinned your trident that's when you're officially a navy seal and i uh, i didn't even realize this but i came prepared i actually had the very first trident that i was ever pinned
0: that's awesome
1: uh right here so we like to call this our bird or our budweiser that's our uh, our nicknames for our, our trident so yeah i mean just you're on top of the world. I mean, it's cloud nine, right? I mean, you, you made it through training. You still know that, that you're really at the very, very beginning of the process of being a seal, but uh, having buds and SQT behind you is, is, uh, man, it's, it's such a relief <laughs> to know that all that's behind you and you don't have to go back, you know, and do it again. So what, a what, a
0: uh, it had to be such a feeling of, of self-satisfaction to know that you got through that. I, and you mentioned the word before, and I have a saying that's, it's fear regret. I always used to tell my players I, when you're done playing or when you're done doing whatever you want or doing that you have no regret that you gave everything you had to the process. Um, of being the best you can be in that situation. And if you don't give everything you have and and you feel like you didn't give everything you have, that's going to set up regret later on in your life. So I always tell them to fear, fear that regret, fear regret. So you work as hard as you can. And you mentioned that regret. I I just kind of, and you probably can't even answer this, but how much regret do you think those guys have that ring the bell?
1: Well, uh, funny that you say that because um uh, there was a documentary that was done a little while ago and and they highlighted three characteristics of these guys that quit uh the first one is is uh is relief right because when we give in to the temporary pain that we're feeling when we give into that pain of course there's a sense of relief um but then after that came shame and regret and uh and, and so those guys feel a, a great amount of of shame just for for quitting and giving up on their dreams of becoming a Navy seal. And then uh, that shame then turns into regret, you know, just, just wanting to, uh, you know, go back. And so buds, they, they, uh, if you quit, they send you back to the fleet for two years. And after those two years, you're allowed to come back and try buds again. Uh, And and some guys make it. Yeah. Some guys make it, uh, about 50%, I think, who come back again, you know, after having some experience and being able to reflect on, you know, why they quit and, and, and having some deeper self-reflection uh, about 50% of them make it, but then 50% quit again. And then once you quit buds twice, then, then you're not allowed to come back. But, uh, but yeah, that regret is very powerful.
0: And have you talked to any, have you ever talked to somebody who's going through that, who's gone through uh, quitting?
1: Uh, you know, I have a little bit, but not recently. Uh, I've, I have had some friends that, that quit. And, uh, and, and at the time, they're just like, you know what, I realized that it just wasn't for me. And that's great. I mean, that's, that's fine. You know, like, sometimes you don't really know until you're actually in it and doing it. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them felt, yeah, they, I mean, guys are on suicide watch, you know, so when they quit, you know, they have somebody there with them and They go see the command psychologist and counselors and stuff, and they, it's uh, it's a pretty low low feeling, low time of their life when they do that.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to them and just see how they overcame that part of it too. Yep. Right, because that's something you got to overcome as well. Now let's go. So you you get deployed a couple times. We can't really talk much about that, but was that was that? um, How long was that that you were an active? seal that you were actually getting deployed and so forth
1: Yeah, so i was in for about six years uh, until i got out i was honorably discharged in 2009 and uh, and i got out for family reasons uh you know i had a family and and kids and and uh being a a navy seal or or a team guy is what we say so being a team guy and a dad it's just like oil and water you know they just they, they don't mix you can't be a good seal or team guy and be a good dad at the same time Mm -hmm. and you know growing up with the value system that I had I just I knew that uh, I mean talk about regret I knew that if I stayed in for for uh, you know my 20 plus years if I was a a lifer is what we call them if if I stayed in I, I just knew that I would regret it you know later on down the road I wanted to my kids to know who I was and, and to have, you know, to be there for them, to be present for them. And, and I'm not discounting the guys that stay in, you know, and have families because some of them make it work. You know, I think it just depends on who you're married to and, um, you know, your goals and your, your value system as well, too. But for me, I knew that that I wanted to I wanted to be there for my kids and I wanted to be present and I wanted to be a, a father that was in the mix. So I, I got out for family reasons in 2009.
0: And let's talk a little bit about what you did after that. This is—I don't know if I—I I, I don't know if there's anybody else who's ever gone the the path that you went to after becoming a SEAL. What did you do after you uh, got discharged or honorably discharged? I'm sorry.
1: Yep. Yep. No, you're good. Uh, so I was a contractor for a little while, and uh, the attrition rate in the SEAL teams is about—I'd uh, say about 50 percent of the guys. Uh, they usually get out after their first enlistment period. So after about four years, they get out to become contractors because they realize that, that they can make like three times more money doing the exact same thing as a SEAL that they, you know, in the contract world as they, as they did when they were active duty. So a lot of guys get out for, uh, f- and become contractors. So I was a contractor for about a year and a half. Um, I was at Fort Bragg teaching the, uh, the Green Beret SSC or Sensitive Site Exploitation and just so we're clear, it's the Navy SEALs who teach the Green Beret, right? Not the other way around. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get my digs in where I can. <laughs> but uh, so I was, on Fort, I was on Fort Bragg right there in North Carolina for uh, about a year and a half uh, teaching SSC. And then, uh, and then the, uh, the door opened for me to actually move back to Cincinnati and become a pastor, and so my dad was involved with the Vineyard Church uh, right there in Cincinnati, and uh, they had an opening as a community life pastor, uh, a pastor like over small groups. And so um, I was like, yeah, you know, I think that I'd be a good fit for that. And so I applied for the job and initially they came back and said, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> thanks for applying. But, you know, we're going to go with a, another another direction. And little did I know they had uh, the candidate that he had like 30 years of ministry experience in his and he was a uh, he had his doctoral degree, you know, and it just blew me out of the water on on paper. Um, But I still felt like, you know, it was a good fit. So, you know, so I said I kept praying about it and uh, and they called me about two weeks later and said, you know what? Uh, we actually are going to give you a shot. You know, we think that maybe getting somebody in here with your background that hasn't been inundated with a bunch of, you know, ministry experience uh, might be a good a good uh, breath of fresh air for us. So, um, so that's when, you know, we moved back. I got the job, moved back to Cincinnati, was a, a pastor there for a couple of years and then transferred uh, out to Colorado, to Aurora, Colorado, where I was a community life pastor at the uh, Smoky Hill Vineyard, uh, just right up the street from me here in Aurora.
0: That's so cool. It's so cool. Now let's go. And some
1: into, some, go some people, sorry, not to cut you off, but no, you're good. Some people are like, they're like scratching their heads. Like, how did you, how did yeah. you go from being a Navy SEAL to a pastor? Like, yeah. how does that even correlate? You know? And, and I'm like, well, you know, it, it does seem kind of odd until you look at it. And, and I, I really think that that God took me out of the, of the the physical fight and, and put me in the spiritual fight you know, and so he removed me from, from the military. And, you know, I've been to some of the darkest places on the planet and have stared evil in, in the face. And, uh, and I get, you know, spiritual warfare on a whole nother level, you know, than yeah. a lot of people do uh, just because I've been there, you know, I've seen it. So I think that, yeah, it was simply God just plucking me from the physical fight and putting me in the spiritual fight, which, obviously we all know is far more costly. You know, the enemy is, is constantly trying to, uh, to win that, that fight for our souls, you know? And and so uh, it was a good fit for me. It it was and very, very rewarding as well too. It was, it was good, you know, because a lot of guys that get out of the military, they're, they're struggling and I struggled a little bit as well too um, down the road, but a lot of guys, they just lack purpose you know, and their identity is so wrapped up in being, uh, in the military, being a soldier that they're just not real sure who they are anymore, you know? And so I think that, that that gave me a lot of purpose, you know, still, uh, in, 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 uh, in, you know, having my identity rooted and grounded in, in the Lord, uh, was, was, was really helpful.
0: Well, and I think, you know, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later, but your purpose in serving people. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's probably one of the reasons, and again, I'm not speaking for you, but I think it's probably one of the reasons you got out of the corporate world because you didn't feel like you were really serving people and helping people. So right. what did you have to do? You had to get into something that you could serve people. You served us, you served me, you served our country. Yeah. And then you got out of that. And what'd you do? You served more Green Berets and you served those people. And then what'd you do after that? You got out and you served, you know, through your ministry. And that, and that's just kind of the heart that you have. And that, that's it's such a great story. And now let's, let's transition to what you're doing now. I know you wrote a book, um, and it's, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and what it's called, where, where people can get it, because I want people to get it and read it, because it's, it's an unbelievable book to read, and it can really inspire you once you read it. So please tell us where you, what the name of your book is, where you get it, and so forth.
1: Sure. Uh, so the, my book is titled The Truth Behind My Trident. And uh, it's available on Kindle, um, on audio, uh, Amazon, you know, all that, all those, all those avenues. Um, and uh, you know, Hollywood does a really good job of portraying the the missions of the seals. You know, with yeah. all the movies that came out, and uh, they they do a pretty good job, almost too good of a job. You know, I'm like, you guys realize Americans aren't <laughs> the only ones watching these, right? <laughs> and they've got you know live seals there helping them with like standard operating procedures and, and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Hollywood does a great job of portraying the life of SEALs. Um, but I, I actually calculated it out and, and that's only 3%, 3% of our time is spent boots on the ground conducting our missions. So what my book does is I want to pull back the curtain and show, uh, you know, what, what the average day in the life of a Navy SEAL really looks like. It's, it's kind of like the book, that I wish I would have read going in, you know, it wouldn't have changed my mind at all, uh, but it would have given me a, a clear view of what I was getting myself into, you know, in the teams. So again, it's called the truth behind my trident and um, yeah, it's been, it's been out for a number of years now.
0: It's really good. Um, and well, let's give a shout out to Beth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beth was my ghost writer. So she was, uh, she helped me. And <laughs> I had, I had just finished my master's degree and uh in leadership and and I was done reading, I was done writing, I was like f- writing fatigue, you know. So the thought of of writing a book at that point was like, oh my gosh, like I, I don't want to do this. So I found Beth, uh, she was a friend of a friend and we connected and worked really well together. And she I would dictate stories and stuff to her and give her pretty much the meat of everything, and then she would, you know, make it make it more palatable for people. Yeah, so she did a great job.
0: She's pretty awesome. Beth Trinquitti is she's my uh, writing coach right now. I'm trying to write a second book, and she's because that's how you and I get, got connected. So I, I wanted to give a shout out to Beth. Now let's let's go into what you're also doing with your speaking. What what are some of the programs that you can come and speak to groups, businesses? I know you got a speaking engagement with yep. with Mass Mutual today and so forth. What are some of the things that people can hire you to speak on, and what are the topics? Yep.
1: Yep. So. Um, I've been a life coach and a, uh, and a public speaker now for about six years, and I've got four presentations. One's on self-defense. Uh, one's a lot of fun. Uh, the other one is overcoming adversity. Uh, my third one is prepared for the unknown. And then I've got one on leadership as well, too, called three-dimensional leadership. And Joe, I, I talk to sports teams. I talk to Boy Scout troops. I talk to high schools, middle schools. Uh, I talk in the business world. Uh, I've done hundreds of, of webinars ever since uh, the, the coronavirus yeah. or pandemic hit about a year ago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, really kind of anyone and everyone uh, it's, I, I speak to. And I love speaking to kids, you know, really, because I can identify with them and some of the struggles that, that, that I went through when I was their age and, and what they're going through right now as well, too, specifically as it relates to identity and uh, fitting in and and just really being sure of yourself, uh, if that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, I've been doing it for about six years and it's, it's been going great. So I've, I really enjoyed it. And, and like you said, you know, I don't don't want to pat myself on the back, but I really do get a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment out of uh, challenging people, motivating them, helping them become the best version of themselves. And so that's why uh, you know, I stepped into life coaching as well too. So,
0: well, I'll, I'll pat you on the back because I've uh, Philip. I'm lucky because Philip lets me get on a lot of his presentations, and I will tell everyone listening to this that you're, you're missing out if you don't hire him. Uh, his presentations are life changing, and he can really help you. So, I, I'll, I will pat you on the back for that for sure. Give me a sample, Philip. Give me a sample of your overcoming adversity.
1: Yeah. So overcoming adversity, I talk about uh, five characteristics that really have helped influence me when I was going through training uh, and my time in the SEAL teams all the way to till till today. Um, I talk about five of those characteristics that really helped me to to overcome adversity. Uh, The first one is the power of preparation and really preparing ourselves for the unknown. The second one is positivity and how positivity, this this positive mindset is actually a learned behavior and how to become more of a positive person. Uh, The third one is perseverance and the power of perseverance and just the perspective that perseverance gives us. Uh, The fourth one is your pack or who we choose to surround ourselves with, our community, uh, our friends, our colleagues, and how important uh, we, you know, how how much we need each other in times of, of adversity. And then the last one is progress. And uh, the role that progress plays in, in really being able to, to overcome adversity, even in the midst of failure, even when we're making mistakes, uh, the power that progress can play in helping to, to continue to motivate us and, and just taking one step at a time.
0: And that's why the name of this podcast is People Progressing Podcast. And that, yep. it's, it's so important that people learn from the adversity that they're going through. I call it listen and learn. Um, List out what you wanted to, to, to what you got from that experience, and then learn from those experiences that you had to go through. It's, it's awesome stuff. And I, I don't want to hold you too long, but I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, it's it's life changing when you get to, to meet somebody with the mindset to overcome, because everything you talked about today was having to overcome because I can guarantee you and tell me if I'm wrong, but when you're going through buds, how many times was your mind telling you I'm done? I can't do this. I'm done. Did that ever happen to you when you were going through those difficult times? And how did you overcome those thoughts and those that self-talk coming into that negative Mm self-talk that's, that's beating you down like that. Just give us a quick sample of how you overcame that.
1: Sure. Uh, So, yeah, my I, I was I was tempted to quit a lot, um, just like I'm tempted in life right now to, to quit and to take easy the easy way out or to to, to cut corners. So I've got uh, the five the five S's that I follow, and I do this with myself, and I teach my clients this as well too. So every time that temptation comes to quit or that temptation comes to to cope, you know, in, in, a, in an unhealthy way. Uh, the, the first S is to spot it, is to spot that temptation or to spot that negative thought that that, that we, that we want to entertain, to spot it. The second one is to stop that thought. And I actually picture a stop sign, you know, and I say it out loud. I'm like, yeah. nope, stop. You know, so you stop that thought from progressing and going too far down that, that road of destruction. And then the, the third S is, is you stand. You stand against that negative thought. And uh, how I do that is I quote scripture, you know, that w- and, and, and we're given a, a beautiful example of that in, in the Bible when Jesus is tempted as well, too. And he he combats the enemy by quoting scripture. So you stand firm, you stand your ground uh, against that negative thought that's that's trying to, to prevail. And uh, and then the fo- uh, fourth S is substitute. Uh, you substitute that negative thought with a positive thought. So whatever that negative thought is, you substitute it with, with the counter thought mm-hmm. of of positivity, of of the truth. And then the fifth S is, is you seek you seek help uh, from your accountability, from your brothers and sisters uh, that are around you, that love you, that you can be transparent with and and uh, really rely on during during hard times.
0: That's so powerful, so powerful. Uh, last three questions, into real quick. What's your purpose in life?
1: Hmm. My purpose in life is is to influence uh, everyone around me uh, the best that I can to help them to become better versions of themselves as as I myself strive to be that person as well.
0: What's your passion in life?
1: My passion is being a follower of Christ, uh, being the best husband that I can be, and being a, a rock star dad.
0: And what is your perspective on life? And You've had so many different experiences, but this is going to be awesome. What's your perspective on life?
1: Uh, My perspective on life is that, uh, you know, hardships never, they never last forever. Uh, And and if we are able to just take it one day at a time, uh, I mean, as far as perspective goes, one person. Like whenever you're tempted to be like, oh, I'm just one person, I can't really do much. you know, I'm, I'm just one person in this sea of people out here out of seven billion people, you know, what good can I do? You can actually do a lot of good. but you never know how much good you can do until you actually go and do it. So so choose the next best thing. Choose the next right thing and uh, and learn, like you said before, learn from our mistakes. And uh, just keep going and see how, how much of a positive impact you can have on those people around you.
0: Man, this has been awesome. I know you got to get ready for your presentation, but uh, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know this is going to help and inspire people. Hopefully, you'll get more people on your website. Tell, how do they get on your website, Philip, real quick?
1: Yeah, it's just my name, uh, Phil Koontz. So P-H-I-L-K-O-O-N-T-Z, philkoontz.com.
0: Okay. And they can get uh, how to order your book and how to uh, get you to speak with their group and all that kind of stuff from your website. So I just want to thank yep. you for coming on again. I know you're busy with all the stuff that you're doing right now, but you're a true servant. And um, that's when you talked about your purpose and your and your passion. They're both about serving others. They're always about serving others. And that's your whole life. And that's your gift. And your gift is giving to others. And I I just thank you so much. You've been a great mentor to me and uh, we'll be in touch soon, but thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me.
0: Have a great day. Yep. Thank you for listening to another edition of the People Progressing Podcast. I'm Joe White. Uh, You can get my book on Amazon or you can get on my website coach joe white, and you can get my book you can uh, get a hold of me through my website to come speak to your group uh, work with you individually uh, life coach you whatever you need I can be there and I can help you uh, you can also get a hold of me through my uh, email it's coach joe white 97 at gmail.com thank you for listening today tell this to share this with your friends And I'm not a professional or anything like that, but I just want to get out and inspire people. So please share this with your friend. Get on, download, subscribe, and spread the word. Thank you so much.